From the Oxano Podcast Network, welcome to My Ministry Breakthrough, hosted by me, Brian Rose. This podcast is all about pastors sharing unfiltered stories of moments large and small, of times when the fog of ministry chaos clears and breakthrough clarity happens. Yep, so if a church has you know 150 people in worship, what is their, what is their collective crowd of the church scattered, i.e., Again, the, the, the schoolmates, the co-workers, right, the neighbors. There is this crowd. Other this parents this, on the ball team. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a cloud crowd. It's, it's, this, it's this collective influence of those people mm. as they live their lives. And that represents a footprint of influence. That could be, obviously, if a church 150, they're going to have thousands of people that they're, they're, you know, rubbing shoulders with, they're in business meetings with, they're on Facebook with, they're, you know, hanging out in the neighborhood with. That's... That's the crowd of the people of God. I mean, that, that's, that's a crowd that the church should be designed for. Is your church making disciples or just faking disciples? Who is the most important crowd for the day-to-day leadership of your church? What is the difference between growing a ministry and growing a church? In this last regular episode of My Ministry Breakthrough Season 1, I sit down again with Oxano founder Will Mancini and tackle some questions that, when answered, are a pretty big wake-up call for the church today. Will shares out of his passion for the local church and recent experience with leaders across the country who are rethinking our program-driven church model. He opens a window to the future that is relevant to churches of every size and every tribe seeking to make authentic, growing disciples of Jesus. So lean in and listen up to the final episode of My Ministry Breakthrough, Season 1, with Oxano founder, Will Mancini. We're sitting here at the end of Season 1 of My Ministry Breakthrough. We've done 20 episodes talking about breakthrough with senior pastors, director of communications, CEO from Unique. I mean, all these are president of Unique. We've got all these you know, voices that have been on here. And I think yeah, it's, it's been right. A great season, man. It's been I think a great it's season. right to wrap it up and come back around full circle, bookend. We started with you and I talking about the concept of breakthrough clarity. Yeah. Um, I want to end with you just talking about what you're seeing right now um, happening in the local churches. Where are the points of breakthrough there? What are those moments that are giving you your spark for this next season? Yeah, well, you know, as as you know, everything that we, all the tools we build out are about solving problems. So the question right. is, what are the new problems that the church is facing? And are you and, seeing some like consistent, uh, you know, patterns? Or I felt like there is a just a very poignant day uh, not too long ago. I was in Atlanta, and I was with a, a pastor in his seventies in a Presbyterian context. And the same day, I was doing a, a gig in Dallas, and a thirty-six-year-old pastor picked me up at the airport. And, and he was a Baptist, younger pastor, so two totally different generations, two totally different denominations. And, and they described, I asked them both, okay, you know, what, what's your greatest problem right now? And they both said the same thing in such radically different ways that it, it's kind of fun. I think that's the that's the biggest problem of our day. The, the, the first, Can you tell us what it was? The first gentleman, <laughs> the first gentleman, yeah, it's coming, it's coming. Okay. The first okay. gentleman said, Will, you know, Church, he, and he's kind of retiring, so he's looking back on his life, and he says, you know, Will, church is more, it's got to be more than a rotary club with a choir. And he's giving us that, you know, Atlanta, Presbyterian, kind of mainline perspective. Yeah. 
And, but just hours later, I'm driving, you know, this, this uh, young guy picks me up at the airport, young guy, you know, mid thirties, senior pastor of a church, about maybe 600, really excited to be the new senior pastor. I said, Hey, what, you know, what is, what is your greatest challenge coming in? I think he's been there like three or four months. He said, well, he said, I'm trying to teach my people that Sunday has got to be more than a show. And then with a few program hooks in the, in the water throughout the week. And he just used this kind of, so the same you know, concept is we've got to get beyond just showing up for an hour every third or fourth Sunday. It's just, yep. What I'm calling, you know, increasingly this program church paradigm where your church really isn't biblically a operating as a church as much as it's operating as a 501c3 Christian education what do you mean? Unpack Institution. That. Unpack that. You say we're not operating as a church. I think most pastors sit down there and be like, well, of course we're operating as a church. Look, you know, we've got Sunday yeah, morning, we've yeah. got small groups, we got serving, we got all these things yeah. we're supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah. We're taking up the offering, you know, we're baptizing. Yeah. Well, you know, it's and you've heard me say this before, but I think the functional great commission is something like, you know, go into all the world and make more worship attenders. <laughs> Baptizing them in the name of small groups and teaching them to volunteer. Oh, wait, wait. Say the functional Great Commission. So we're not saying— but, Yeah, it's, it's, it's the Great Commission that we actually operate off of, right, emotionally. It's what we're connected to. It's what's really happening functionally. And what is it? Say it again. The functional it's, Great Commission is what? It's, it's, it's going into all the world and making more worship attenders, baptizing them in the name of small groups, and teaching them to volunteer a few hours a month. So it's this idea that, yeah, we want people involved in our church stuff. The question is, does that church stuff operate for the purpose of organizational disciple-making or organized disciple-making? Does all that stuff actually lead to life-on-life uh, -life interactions around God's truth, powered by the Spirit, where you know, people are really deeply investing in each other's lives and learning the way of Jesus? Uh, as as uh, as we were with you know Lynn Sweet earlier this week he said the, the local church is not as much a community of a belief as it is a community of practice. Mm. And of course, there's a belief involved in that, but if we don't have these disciple making practices, are we really a local church? So, you know, and you, you know that I love the local church. You know, yeah. I love the organized local church. So I'm not one of our values. Some guy out here. Contagious you know, passion for the bride of Christ. I mean, blowing up the church, yeah, and saying yeah, it's only yeah. about house churches and that kind of thing. Yeah. No, I love the organized church. I just, I just, I think here's the new reality, Brian. I think for, for a long period of time in recent history, you could actually do program church. You could offer services. You could offer groups. You could do service, which is good stuff. But you could do it without really creating a lot of disciple making fruit and still be considered a, quote, successful church. You could be viable institutionally in our culture. You could grow. You could have more people show up to worship services. And in a way, I would say it is like, you know, every church is really, you know, making and faking disciples to some degree. It's like, how much do we think we're actually making disciples when we're, when we're, when we're really not? So I think that making, faking idea is just an important conversation. But here's, here's the new reality. Ten years ago, you could fake disciples and still be a successful church pastor. Um, what do you mean? I mean, slow down. You, you say you said that already. There's a period in our history, recent history, where there was a different scorecard where we didn't understand what disciples were. What do you What do you mean by that? Yeah, I mean that there is an illusion of fluency around the idea of disciple making, and what that means is we all use the word disciple. We all use the word discipleship. We all assume that there's disciple making happening 
just because we have a worship service or just because we offer classes or groups. And I'm just, you know, as you know, in our work at Oxana, we're always kind of pressing back into, yeah. for example, one side of the vision frame is how would you define success? How do you define what your disciple making outputs are? And so, you and know, most of the time team, we, we measure inputs, right? Most of the time we measure attendance, yeah. buildings, or cash. Yeah. Yeah. But not kind of the fruit. What is, yeah. you know, what is a disciple actually look like in your context? Yeah. 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 So again, it's, it's not, you know, I, I want to be uh, empathetic to pastors and support, love them. But it's that idea that if you're just providing services, you know, the idea that, you know, 95% of all of our energy is just going into Sunday morning and making it successful. We're probably, if we're honest, we look at the disciple making fruit of our, of our ministries. There's probably not a lot there. There's going to be incidental stories of life change because God is showing up and God sovereignly works and the Holy Spirit's alive. And, you know, and, and God's word doesn't return void, but uh, you can't you can't truly disciple people just from the pulpit. And you know, small some small groups might be very effective. Others just might be you know frustrating experience for people sitting around you know living room without without a lot of you know uh, impact. Right, right. Unless we know, right. And sometimes we resist that level of control. You know, we want our small groups to have a little bit more anonymity or autonomy, or we or we or they're very rigid and and people feel. I mean, I think there's a lot of like, if we asked a lot of small group pastors today, hey, how how many of your small groups do you think are actually effective in making disciples? I don't know they'd yeah. be able to answer the question. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, we know that we know that most most churches have never even answered the question, what kind of disciple are we designed to produce? I mean, that, to some degree, you know, you know, every you know, as a, as a prior engineer and having done some other things, you know. Any sports environment, any manufacturing environment, there's always a crystal clear picture of what success looks like. And in the church, there's a scoreboard of sorts. There's not, yeah. Or, or our scoreboard really it was built around something that doesn't truly validate disciple making yeah. happening. So, uh, you know, to, 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 let's, let's, use, let's use, use an illustration like what surveys would tell us the average church has something low 20 percentages of, pe- uh, of people who actually daily intake God's word in some way, you know, um, how do we tool and train to, for personal Bible intake, you know, personal Bible study. And of course we can preach about it all day long, but how do we, you know, what evidence would we have that we actually have systematically relationally help people for themselves become self-feeders in God's word. And we can actually measure that. It's not hard to ask and probe and, you know, just understand people's relationship to God's word. And if you preach a a message series on that, or if we do a training course on that, we can ask simple questions that give us a true indicator. Are we actually growing in, as a community in Bible intake, just as one example? So what is that shift then, Will, from faking disciples or not being sure if we're making disciples to really that, that surety, that clarity of disciple making? What's that shift as you see it today? Well, I think... I think the first thing that's happening, which isn't a direct answer to your question, but I think that the evidence that that this dynamic is is happening are these pastors saying church has got to be more than a rotary club with a choir. A young pastor saying we've got to do more than a show on Sunday and have a few hooks in the water throughout the week. What they're saying is they are frustrated with the fact that they want to make disciples with their lives, but the, you know, 
the system's perfectly designed to get the, the results it's currently getting. And they look at that system and they go, wow, this isn't really making what I feel called to do. And they're, they're seeing that disconnect between the stated Great Commission and the way the organization, you know, gets results. And, and so I think what, what's very special about this, I mean, for, you know, the missional reorientation started around 2000, explicit disciple making has come back into vogue and it's taken an entire generation for every generation to kind of name this problem in the same way. What's driving, I think, the need as well is our best churches are beginning to experience significant decline in attendance. I think we're at, I, I don't think any surveys can show us what's about to happen. I've, you know, in the last couple of weeks, I can think of three churches I've been with that would all, they have all reported 10 years of, of growth. And this is the first time they're not just plateaued, but there's, there's a significant declining moment. And these churches would be relevant. They would be exciting. They would be great teaching. I mean, they're great theology. All the marks that we would say 10, 15 years ago it's, are, it's, you know, almost success inexplicable. And, and I think part of that is just that we are going to see rapid Decelerization, you know, de- deceleration of the of the value of program church. Mm. So our our faking disciple dynamic is going to be exposed a little bit, and people just aren't going to be you know as interested in it. Uh, so I so you know so the solution there is to just stop counting weekly attendance, right? Start <laughs> counting this new magical number we call engagement, where we can. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> this and that, you you hit a little bit of a of a of a hot button for me, you know, the immediate response in the last five years has been, let's, let's measure engagement versus attendance. Yeah. Let's stop, let's stop the old measurements to, yeah. And there's, you know, as you know, there's some, you know, there's been some pop pop popularity with that language, but really they're not getting to disciple making yet. They're just, you know, we would talk about measuring, not just inputs, but throughputs, you know, we might measure how many people are in groups or how many people are serving, but really is that, is that really what the church is about fundamentally? So I, you know, I still think you have to push all the way through to naming your disciple making outputs. So the way, anyway, the way engagements defined is, is a little can be a little squirrely depending on what what yeah. uh, what conversation. Seems like though it's just kind of like saying, hey, let's just we're not really building a new scorecard. We're just kind of rethinking about how we keep score. Let's set bar the, the par. Let's change what par is now so that we feel yeah. It's, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it's, you know, yeah. Or, or, you know, we look at engagement, which means, Hey, I can go to church online rather than yeah. go there. And well, yeah. that's great. But if we just switch an input result, yeah. in a different still way. doesn't get to the heart of, well, Hey, we're called to make disciples, right? Not just, right. you know, engage people for a certain number of hours a month or a week or yeah. a year or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, and I want to, you know, state on the record, I want all churches to grow. I want all pastors to lead growing churches. So we, talk more and more about real church growth. What do you what mean is, by that? What is real church growth? Real church growth is a commitment to to both organization and disciple making. So we're not throwing out, you know, budgets and staff. And, you know, uh, if, if you have a stained glass window or a steeple or you meet in a, you know, in a rented high school, whatever, it, great, we celebrate those things. So real church growth is the idea that uh, we can be vital and we can be uh, influential in our communities by by becoming a disciple-making movement uh, that's happening kind of, yes, there's worship services. Yes, there's small groups. We're not, again, not throwing out the programming. We're just saying the programming exists to support and nurture real disciple-making. So, un- so give us a visual. What is real disciple-making? When you say it like that, I mean, yeah, well, what is lot, that? There's lots of ways, lots of ways 
but we're talking about it. And, and the first thing that comes to mind is what's the most important crowd in your life as a church? So most churches, the most important crowd is the number the ones of who give on. Well, I'm, oh, I'm sorry. Of, I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> that's that's the most important. That's the most important friends for most pastors. Uh, most important crowd is the crowd that shows up Wednesday morning. There's another Wednesday morning. Did I say Wednesday? Yeah. Sunday morning. Three to thrive. Wednesday, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night preaching. No, yeah. I don't know why I said Wednesday morning. Sunday morning. The Sunday morning, the worship service, that's the crowd that matters most. That's what we count. That's what we fixate around. Mm-hmm. That's what 95% of our energy is going toward. There's more time crowd. during the week of prep. There's another crowd. The crowd, the real crowd that we have to steward is the sphere of influence of every person in the church, you know, Monday, including Wednesday morning. Monday, Monday through Saturday. What do you mean what? by that? The sphere of influence. What, what, yeah. what does that mean? It mean yeah, it mean it means the neighbors, the coworkers, the people that our people live, work, and play with throughout the week. Okay. And what if that crowd was the most important crowd? Well, you know, if you if you open your Bible and look at the 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 the, the you know the the ministry, the gospel ministry, proclamation ministry of Jesus. You look at the nature of how Jesus built the disciple-making movement. You know, the most important crowds were the were the ministry opportunity that everyone had all throughout the week. You're saying the people connected to the people of our church, the, the people connected to the Sunday morning people. Yep. So if a church has, you know, 150 people in worship, what is their what is their collective crowd of the church scattered? I.e., again, the, the the schoolmates, the coworkers, right, the neighbors. There is this crowd. Other this parents this, on the ball teams. It's a, it's a it's a it's a cloud crowd. It's it's this it's this collective influence of those people mm. as they live their lives, and that represents a footprint of influence that could be obviously if a church 150, they're going to have thousands of people that they're they're you know rubbing shoulders with, they're in business meetings with, they're on Facebook with, they're, you know, hanging out in the neighborhood with. That's that's the crowd of the people of God. I mean, that that's that's a crowd that the church should be designed for. So you are you saying that help me help me make the shift then if we're if we're focusing efforts on Sunday morning crowd, prepping, all those kind of things, what's the shift then to that cloud crowd look like? Like if I'm a pastor sitting out there I'm like, man, there's something resonant in what you're saying, yeah. Will. Yeah. What What does that look like for me? Yeah. It. There's again. There's lots of ways of describing it. My one of my preferred way of describing it is moving from a the idea that real church growth starts with a culture of mission, not with a culture of worship. So I would say, biblically, logically, theologically, mi- mission always precedes worship. Um, you know, give we, us an example. What do you mean? You can't. Well, you know, use you and I. I mean, at some point, some point, the mission of God was active before Will Mancini or Brian Rose worshipped God. There, there. He, you know, we love because He first loved us. He loves us. He reveals Himself. He rescues us. At some point, we call it salvation. We call it coming to Christ. We call it trusting Jesus, inviting Jesus into your heart. Whatever. Like, like there had to be somebody had to reach us before we could actually, um, you know, however you wanted to. Define worship as you know a, a single mindedness and giving all of our lives kind of glory to God, or if it's going to a worship service, mm-hmm. like the mission has to be effective in reaching a lost person before that lost person can be saved and then reflect glory back to God. So, just practically speaking, um, it, you know, 
Jesus didn't go out. And, and, and the, the New Testament, Jesus never commands us in the New Testament to go to a worship service. Jesus is constantly proclaiming the kingdom and healing and, 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 and guiding people, guiding a core team to live on mission, to heal, redeem, restore, uh, which is why it's so dramatic when they, when they get off mission and want to call down judgment or fire or lightning out of heaven, right? And zap those people. Who don't he says, you, don't, you still don't know what spirit you're of yet. You still don't kind of get it. He's, yeah. he's still, but he, he doesn't say, oh, go, you know, go to a worship service. He basically is still repent, you know, rebuking and causing them to repent around. You know, we're supposed to live on mission. This thing's about grace. Let's right. get back on mission again. So it's the, it's the idea. Another way to say it is the most important people to the church or the, really to the church, to everyone in the church, are the people who are not yet there. Uh, and, and, and anything we do in worship is a reflection that, that, that every day is an opportunity to be on mission. And when we, when we celebrate the work of God on mission, more and more people are coming into a worship posture in their life and more people are coming to a worship event in the rhythm of the disciples of Jesus and followers of God weekly worshiping on the Sabbath. So again, the most important thing is I don't want to diminish the importance of worship. I just want to put it in its right logical sequence, you know, for real church growth. Yeah. I think, I think there's, I think every pastor would agree with that, that, Hey, listen, the most important people are the ones that are the objects of the mission, the ones that, you know, are the, are the, the connection, the cloud crowd, as, as you said earlier, but there's still a struggle to make the shift between this programmatic notion of the organized body versus this incarnational work. It, so, so the, the yeah. pastor, I don't think every, any pastor would disagree with that, but I think doing it is is different than than knowing it. So where's the gap for you right now? What do you see, or how do you see that gap closing as we move yeah. into the next, you know, well, 10 years, decade of church growth? I'll say two, two things in response. One is we, we need a quick litmus test to kind of get to the core issue. And then I'll share another kind of maybe perspective on it. The first thing is uh, we need a litmus test question to understand what the current state you know, this culture of mission is. And the easiest way to do that, Ryan, I think, is to, and, and you know this, we've used this tool a lot at Oxano, but we ask the question, why do your people call your church home? And, and the way, the more technical way I like to think of it is, what really connects your people emotionally to the church? And as you know, there's four common answers in the church in North America. The building itself, we call place, the personality of the senior pastor or highly visible lead pastor or worship pastor, so we call that personality, the programs your church runs, or the the people, that is the friends that, you know, you might have that, that go to that church. So the, the place, the personality, the programs, the people are, are what define, like that's the essence for most people's connection to their church. So if you remove any of those, they're, they're disconnected from the church. So the pastor leaves, well, they, they disconnect from the church or they relocate and they, they leave the church or their friends move, they leave the church or a program stops, they leave yeah, the church. Yeah. And so I would suggest that you actually only have a church to the degree that there's a group of people that are more emotionally connected to the mission of Jesus than they are to the place, personality, programs, people. And as you know, we, what we call Whoa, that is- that's a big, that's a big, that's a big bomb. You only have a church 
in as much as the people are more connected to the mission of Jesus than they are a building. They're more connected to the mission of Jesus than they are a group of people or a Sunday school class. They're more connected to the mission of Jesus than they are to a particular program or even we would say sometimes a style of program or they're more connected to the mission of Jesus than they are a personality, a particular leader in yeah. a visible function. Yeah. yeah. And that's, yeah. A, I mean, that's, it is, it's, it's, it's a pretty big statement. It's, it's, ba- it, but it's a pretty logical statement. I mean, it's, you know, if, if, are, if you're not really conscious of, of disciple making, I mean, are you actually doing it? I mean, it's not, <laughs> I mean, um, so you know that 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 sense that sense in which I mean, if we've not named and connected and said yes, we actually understand what the big idea of of our of our you know you know of our organization or of our group, you know what what really are we doing? And you know it's I, I think it's important to know you've you've heard us say this you know it's been said there where there is no vision the people you know perish and. We, we talk about that as where there is no vision that people cherish something like we don't, we, we don't, we just kind of let things drift to lesser important things. Yeah. And so yeah. I, now I think this is an important distinction. If you get a bunch of people who are connected to the place, the programs, personality, and pro, I just think that's the size of your ministry. It's not really the size of your church. So, I mean, I think it's, I mean, I'm glad that people are coming in the front doors of yeah, the church yeah. and they, they're going to knock on the wood and, you know, we name those four a, things as provision of God, right? We we need them. good things. Yeah. yeah, people are going to have to come in at that lower room as, as the metaphor we use it for, yeah. for those four Ps. But they're not the vision. But they're not the biggest idea of the church. And you know, um, you, I don't think you have a church if you if you have people only connected to those things. I, again, you, you might have a Christian education ministry, or you might have a, a worship you know, service, a meaningful club yeah. in the name of Jesus. You might have an inspiring event every week that gets people pumped up and you know, shake their fist and praise Jesus. Great. You have maybe a worship ministry, but is it really a disciple making organization or movement locally? You know, uh, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think it can be if you don't have people who are thinking about it, dreaming about it, trained to it, living it out. So what do we do? Well, you know, I, 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 I'm very hopeful. I think we, um, I, I think this gets to the second thing I want to say. I mean, I think we first need to name the problem. No, you know, no, no one makes progress well unless they name the problem well. So we've got to be honest. You know, Jim Collins said a long time ago, confront the brutal facts. I think we just need to peel back and just be okay with ourselves. This is where we are in our cultural moment. I'm not mad at the church, at the program churches. I mean, I, you know, I've been in program church to some degree myself for, for a long time, you know, as a consulting or we can be in kind of program mode as a consulting or so yeah, it's easy yeah. to kind of drift just to doing business as usual or not keeping the main thing, the main thing. So it's not, you know, not, not mad about us, but let's name, let's name the brutal, confront the brutal facts, name, name reality. I think, I think one helpful paradigm uh, that's kind of the second thing I was going to say that kind of helps kind of guide the way and shape the way a little bit is and I think this is part of the problem of our decreasing frequency of attendance in our best churches. And I, we're going to see that decline, uh, I think, more and more. And that is the church really, you know, in, in the program mindset, the church offers teaching. And content has become a commodity. So you know this. I mean, any church attender in America can probably, you know, in 60 seconds on their iPad before they get out of bed, find, you know, 20 better preachers than the local church guy they're going to go down in here. Uh, in other words, you, you, you know, content is available, is ubiquitous. 
and the, the church needs to be more than a content provider. Most churches bank on a 35-minute message surrounded by some inspirational music as the primary delivery of value and the primary mechanism for disciple making. You know, in in, in reality, that you know, you, again, do we want to do away with that? Of course not. But that can't be the primary mode of delivery, and we need more than that. And I think a helpful a helpful paradigm is to say we need to move from 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 being a teaching center to a training center. Um, you know, we're not ever doing organized disciple making unless people are really being trained in a way of living. I think we over rely on right knowledge transfer. We don't know how to design our groups and our, our teams to to you know do the practice, the evaluation, the accountability, and the modeling that it takes to help people live a different kind of life. So, so I don't think I don't think we design our our, our ministries to provide the modeling, the practice, the evaluation and accountability that's required if we're trying to live a different kind of life. Another way to think is that, of that is that a list? That's the modeling, say that again. Yeah, modeling, practicing, evaluation, accountability. These are, I mean, we never a human being doesn't learn new skills in any field without those basic elements. And learning to follow Jesus again is about practicing a way of life. So uh, you know, we can't, we're just, you know, we, we rely a lot on the knowledge transfer, not on, not on new ways of, of living and new competencies for living. Um, I, another way to think of it is uh, if we wanted to start, Brian, a, you know, a school to teach people how to swim, at some point we've got to get them out of the classroom and get in the pool. And basically our churches are basically like, you know, centers for teaching people how to swim and that only provide a classroom. Hmm. Um, you know, that's, the paradigm we operate out of. Are you seeing anybody that's broken that paradigm? Have you seen anybody that's on the on the on the leading edge of saying, "Hey, we've got them in the pool." And is there one or two things that you see that a, a pastor listening right now could really pick up on? Well, you know, I mean, you know, we've been doing Oxana for a while, and I think that's you know that's certainly one of the big we want to we want to see fundamental breakthrough on emotionally connecting to the mission of Jesus. Every church names their disciple making outputs. Now, just because you name them doesn't mean you grow in them. So we're always fighting the good fight of building that out. But uh, you know, boy, um, you know, lot, lots of um, lots of places come to mind. I, but you know, recently um, I'm thinking of Christ Place Church in Atlanta, and I'm thinking of a church that's it had some exciting and op- excitement in opening a new building, and uh, you know seeing their numbers grow. And so it's like, I love validating all of those externals and lower rooms have gotten better and better, and better. But all of the time they were doing that, they were driving their vision frame. They were driving a clear disciple making mission, you know, a clear disciple shaping values, clear disciple moving strategy as, as you like to say. And, and that, and that was the, the crown jewel of all that was they named what kind of disciple they wanted to produce. And so as, as, as people were coming, they're integrating all of this uh, kind of, you know, new ways of living stuff and how they how they do church. And I think they've seen great fruit from that. So I think there's countless examples through Oxano, but it's 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 not, you know, it's not a light duty process. As you know, we really take folks through a real process to understand real church growth that's driven from disciple making, not from programming. Yeah. And it takes time. It takes effort. I mean, I just, I just don't think we make that shift yeah. and close that gap overnight. Although I think there's a lot of people that would like to think you could. It's just, you know, get a good weekend retreat in, get a good, 
you know, plan on a page and, and we can go from there versus saying, hey, listen, are we going to invest the effort required to see those those things on the backside? Hey, give us as we wrap right now, give us what's one thing uh, you're doing right now that you're just seeing kind of explode your walk with Christ? What's one habit or practice that you're in the middle of in this season, Will, that you're just really, God's really just using in a big way for you? Well, you know, it's it's really, as you know, I, I kind of did an unusual life experiment for yeah. the last three months. I lived in a different place that actually afforded more solitude in the last three months than I probably had in the last 10 years. And so- um, By solitude, you mean just- you by yourself, or you mean just yep. you out of the normal context of life? A little bit of both, yeah. Okay. So li- living living a different pace uh, in general, different so place, down, down a different pace. There you go. Downshifted a little bit. My travel still stayed, you know, yeah. working full time, but downshifted travel and just had a lot of, you know, uh, if people followed me a little bit. I was doing a lot of snowboarding because I was in Colorado, and you know, a lot of that was by myself, and just to have both the enjoyment of being in nature, doing something I love. And it was a deeply replenishing thing as I turned 50 this year and looking at the next life stage. So I would say I'm drinking deep of the big idea that, you know, the more willing you are to pause and reflect on your life, the, the, you know, the, the more the more you can experience progress. And it's a little counterintuitive. You know, we're living these days, it's hard to have margin in, uh, in 2019. So just having a big chunk of margin, spending some just, deep time in solitude has been such a refreshing, I mean, to me physically, to me spiritually, and, and to me vocationally and relationally. So I think I'm living in the uh, afterglow of that of that time. Love it. Hey, thanks for sitting down and giving us a few minutes. I'm looking forward to seeing uh, this, continuing this idea of real church growth and, and how God's going to use that. Thanks, man. It's great. Great to be on the podcast. Thank you for listening to My Ministry Breakthrough from the Oxano Podcast Network. You can head over to myministrybreakthrough.com to join the conversation and access our show notes, including the books or other resources mentioned in this episode. If you enjoy hearing these stories of ministry breakthrough, we would be honored if you would subscribe, rate, and even leave a review on iTunes or your preferred podcast provider. Thanks again for listening.